It's good to be with you. Uh, I, I like the North. I do like the North. In fact, for, for 10 years, thank you very much, we were living in, in Oswestry, which is, which is effectively North Wales, really, isn't it? it used, to be, used to be in Wales. And uh, I actually come to the North quite frequently, and it's great, it's great to be here with you for my second visit. The last time I came, you were in a different part of the university building. No surprise there, apparently. You move around quite a lot. Is that right? But it is great to be here today. What I'd love to do is just give a brief update. Phil, I think, is going to help me with the uh, PowerPoint on uh, what's happening with the Alliance in Wales. You are actually a member church of the Evangelical Alliance in Wales. Did you know that? Nigel did. Nigel knew that. But you're actually part of this uh, organization. And let me introduce you to some of the team. That, that's me on the left. Did, do you notice that? Yep. Fairly recent picture because Jackie said to me, same jacket, same jacket easy. Bit of a giveaway, isn't it? You know, times are hard, you see. <clears throat> but Jackie did say to me recently, Elvin, it's about time you updated your picture on the PowerPoint because you're looking older. She told me. Your wives are like that, aren't they? They can be honest, piercing in their comment, and and loving and kind as well. Jim Stewart is our National Assembly Liaison Officer. We go for snappy titles with the Alliance in Wales. More about that in a moment. Cynthia's our administrator. The other names are guys that work with us uh, on a voluntary basis or part-time paid, and, and together we seek to serve the Kingdom of God in Wales. Very, whoops, too far. Very simply... Our, our mission is all about gospel ministry. People say to me sometimes, Elvid, what does evangelical mean? Now, what would you say in response to that? It's quite a hard question, really, isn't it? What does the term evangelical mean? It's got bad press in some circles, good press in others. But very simply, what I say is this. It's borrowed from a Greek word, which means gospel. That's what the word evangelical means. It means gospel. So an evangelical Christian, or church, or organization, is one that is focused on gospel ministry, and our passion is to make Jesus known in this small nation of ours by working together in the proclamation and the demonstration of the good news of Jesus. Oops, this goes a very sensitive button here, isn't it? Or I've got clumsy thumbs. So very simply... This ministry that we believe God has called us to works out in three main areas of focus. First of all, presenting Christ credibly to the assembly and to the media in Wales. So in order to do that, the first minister, very kindly, Carwin Jones, has given us a seat on the Faith Communities Forum in Wales, which is a, you know, it's a tricky environment, let's be honest, because all faiths are represented there. But I'm there with my colleague Jim, representing all 60,000 evangelical Christians in Wales. And it's a policy-influencing meeting where we can raise issues of importance, of concern, to those of us who are gospel people in, in the nation of Wales. So please pray for those key opportunities. The media will often contact us for comment on a whole range of different issues. It might be on the latest Narnia film or same-sex marriage legislation, 
you know, light subjects like that. And often on a two-minute live discussion or sometimes just a one-hour phone-in program where people phone in their comments and you're there in the studio trying to be some sort of witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Just recently, um, we were asked by the, the media for a comment on the teaching of creationism in the classroom. There's a move within, na- within uh, the nation to outlaw any mention of the fact that God might have created the heavens and the earth within the classroom. Uh, now, the education department at the moment are duty-bound to include it, but there's a quite a strong lobby group to, to outlaw it from the classroom. And they wanted a comment on that uh, from us. And we would say something very simply like this. Well, in a free and liberal society then it's fair for people to communicate their views that they don't believe that God created, but it's equally fair that those of us that believe he did create communicate that view as well. That's what a free society is all about. So just opportunities to try and communicate the good news of Jesus. Second focus is presenting Christ as good news to all across the nation of Wales, including the poor and the marginalized. Now, why do I say that? Well, in Luke chapter 4, you probably know the passage well. Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth, quotes Isaiah 61, and says, Today the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, he mentions the poor first. The good news is for everyone, the rich, poor and all those in between. But he mentions the poor first. Why? Because I believe he knew, he knows that our tendency is to neglect sometimes the margins of society. And we believe that God is calling his people within the nation of Wales to make a priority of engaging with those who have just been on the edges of society for so long in the Rhondda Valleys in somewhere called South Wales. In the Rhondda Valleys, there are young men and women who are third generation, third generation unemployed. They don't know what it means to have a job, to have a meaningful expression of a means of expressing their gifts and their talents to benefit society. There's a need for the good news to communicate with those in the poorer reaches of society. And one of the things that we're involved in is something called Waleswide, which is a church strengthening and planting initiative, where in a couple of weeks' time, there'll be a gathering of some 300 leaders from all over the nation in Newtown to look at the question of how can we in this nation plant new, vibrant churches where there is no live witness? And how can we reach those who've been untouched by the gospel for generations within this small nation? The Cymru Institute for Contemporary Christianity, or KIC, as we call it for short, because it's easier to say, is very simply an attempt to help people become more confident in the messaging of the Bible when it comes to doing evangelism. So often we are faced with issues in 21st century Wales, stem cell research, presumed consent, very relevant in Wales at the moment. Soon there'll be legislation which will say that all of you will be donating your organs 
upon your death <laughs> unless you opt out. That's new legislation. How do we feel about that? What is our reaction to that? How does the Bible inform us on issues like that? What about climate change? What about civil partnerships? How can we be informed? GIC holds events around the nation where we draw together people who are thinkers, practitioners, theologians, Bible expositors, and help us together to discover how the Word of God informs us in relation to some of these issues. Third area of focus of the ministry of the Alliance in Wales is presenting Christ to our communities once again, by mobilizing Christians to work together in community transformation. Gospel is proclamation, but it's also demonstration. And that means acts of kindness and mercy in our communities. So a number of years ago, we launched something called Gwaini. Has anybody heard of Gwaini? Well done. It's a Welsh word, it means serve, it's subtitled the Council of the Christian Voluntary Sector in Wales. We do love these snappy titles. The Council of the Christian Voluntary Sector in Wales. Very simply, it represents all the great work that churches like yours and many others across the nation are doing to serve communities in Wales and helps churches access funding for community projects. Stirring the church up. Great news, isn't it? Good thing to do. Stirring churches up to demonstrate practically the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know what? Since this coalition and Gwaini is Tear Fund and ourselves and its care and its prospects and its Housing Justice UK all working together, since Gwaini's been going, the assembly has suddenly realized that the church, if you add up all the voluntary service it offers to communities in Wales, offers about £102 million of services to communities in Wales every year. Conservative estimate. And all of a sudden, the assembly is keen to talk to the church. <laughs> because of what it does in the community. There's an engagement... Because God's people are unashamedly doing what God calls us to do, which is making a difference in our communities. Let me just wrap up by saying this. If this mission is to be realized, then we're convinced that young people need to be reached and released into effective Christian leadership in Wales. Amen. <laughs> and because we're passionate about that, we've set up another coalition, if that's not a dirty word in today's context, another coalition with YWAM and Youth for Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying the right things for you, aren't I? <laughs> excellent, excellent. Working with YWAM, Sainte Gamined and Urban Saints in Wales, Going Public, Ignite Cymru, all collaborating, New Wine Cymru, all working together to help local churches throughout Wales prioritize on the mentoring, the intentional mentoring of younger leaders so that we can see our young people standing in the gap, holding down ministries in government and business and politics and media, as well as in local church leadership in Wales, so that there can be a realization of this vision. And the great thing is that God, there are signs that God is doing that in an amazing way. Do you know what? 
in the last few years, the first Welsh-speaking evangelical missional church has been planted, the first one for 70 years in Wales. Isn't that amazing? It's happened in English, but not in Welsh-speaking, because young people are taking up the challenge of adopting leadership roles. And the guy who's leading the church is 26, Derek Rees. You may have heard of him. Big guy, frightening to look at, but gentle, really, you know, nice guy to talk to. An amazing transformation is taking place because people are intentional about releasing young people into effective ministry. That's a very quick uh, whistle-stop tour of the Alliance. We'll block it there. Thanks, Phil. We'll, we'll finish it there. Thank you very much indeed. And I have brought with me some uh, literature. It's uh, at the back on the table there. It's all free for you to take. But uh, as well as being a member church of the Alliance, you have the opportunity, a special opportunity this morning, if you would like to, to become personal members of the Alliance in Wales. And by taking this little leaflet, if you would like to fill it in and give it back to me, you can become a member of the Alliance free for a year. And then decide if you like it. And if you don't, you can call it a day. <laughs> but if you do, you can carry on being a member of the Alliance. So please take this and uh, fill it in so that when I'm engaging with the government or the media and they ask me, well, how many people do you represent? I can say thousands in Wales who stand together in their conviction that Jesus is the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Thank you very much for the opportunity to update you on the work of the Alliance. Any questions? Is it okay to ask questions? Yeah. Any questions? Yes. Nice to see you. Thank you for your responses. I'm really encouraged by that. Like to see hands in the air. Any other questions? No problem. Do you have tea after the service? Yeah, over tea afterwards if you like. Let's turn to the Word of God together. And uh, Acts chapter 15. I want to read a selection of verses from this chapter. And then we're going to pray together. Is this mic working okay? Can you all hear me? Yep. Is it all right? Yep. Good. Just get my water. Acts chapter 15, and from verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees 
stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And he quotes from the book of Amos. Verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. And then we read the content of that letter. Let's pray together. Father, we bow humbly in your presence at this point in our celebration and worship today and ask that you would speak to us through your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Please, Lord, give us the strength and determination and willingness to obey that which you say to us. That we may be more like Jesus. We ask in his name and for his glory. Amen. If you like titles for sermons that you hear or messages that are preached in church, then the title I would give to this morning is The Church with Vision. The real focus of what I want to talk about from Acts chapter 15 is how we can be effective missional people as local churches within our Welsh context today. We need to be intentionally missional as the body of Christ in Wales. And the Bible is full of examples of how important it is to be people who have a clear vision about which we are passionate. Otherwise, if we don't aim at anything, you don't hit anything. If you're intentional about making Jesus known, 
We don't often see the great results and fruits of people being converted and coming to faith in Christ. And when it comes to having a prophetic voice and an impact upon society, I think the church is second to none. When it's behaving as God intended it to behave. We sometimes underestimate how effective church can be. Because we look at recent church history and we think, hey, we haven't done a fantastic job over the last few decades in Wales. But the church as God intends it to be is an amazing, amazing transformational expression of the body of Christ that can see miracles, lives turned around, governments impacted, society changed from the bottom up as well as the top down. This is the church. It says in the Old Testament, in the book of Chronicles, that the men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The people of God can have, by God's grace, that prophetic insight, that understanding of society, that understanding of communities that enables us to respond in the ministry of the gospel really, really effectively. You may have heard on the news yesterday the quote from John Sentamu, the Archbishop of York, who's never shy about speaking out and challenging the government. And you may have heard on the news that he was basically saying to the Westminster government, what right do you think you have to redefine marriage? As you know, same-sex marriage legislation is being considered by Westminster. Here is a man, a leader in the church, speaking out unashamedly and boldly and prophetically to government. God has called us to have that prophetic voice. Now what we see in the uh, 15th chapter of Acts that we've read this morning is a particular important time in the progression of the local church. So far they have been active in ministry, preaching the gospel, the dead have been raised to life, the sick have been healed, lost people have been converted, but now they're having to gather together at Jerusalem to really sort out the essence of their vision. There's a bit of a tension and conflict. Those who are Jewish by background are saying, if anybody is going to become a Christian, They've really got to become a Jew and be circumcised according to the Jewish law. And others say, well, no, no, no. The gospel means that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in him. It's not by obedience to the law. Attention. So they had to gather together at the headquarters of the early church in Jerusalem and say, Lord, what is the vision you have given us? When the church gets its act together in terms of knowing what really matters and understanding its vision, then it is indeed a force to be reckoned with. I sometimes read the Times newspaper, usually on the train when I'm going to London to look intelligent. The person I like to read in the newspaper is Matthew Paris. Anybody read Matthew Paris, his articles? Nope. Interesting guy. This is what he wrote fairly recently. He said this. I'm quoting him. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism, 
makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. Matthew Paris, atheist. Now, he's an honest man. He may be an atheist. He's an honest man. He's looking at this thing called church, and he's saying, there's something about this that changes people's lives. The church with vision is a church that God uses to turn nations inside out and upside down. But we need vision. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, Without revelation, the people cast off restraint. Or the older version, without prophecy, the people perish. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. And this expression of casting off restraint is the same one used in the book of Exodus. You know the story when Moses is up Mount Sinai. The people get bored waiting. They make a golden calf and they start to worship the calf. And they go wild worshipping the golden calf. Same expression. They cast off restraint. Without vision, the people of God go wild in the wrong direction. Cast off restraint. Vision is essential. Habakkuk 2, write down the revelation and make it plain, Habakkuk says. It's all about understanding our vision and being intentional. When Disney World was first opened, or the first Disney World was opened in the United States of America, someone was there at the opening ceremony and said, what a great pity that Walt Disney didn't live to see this. And Mike Vance, the creative director, turned around and said, well, actually... He did see it. That's why it's here. He saw it before ever a brick was laid. That's vision. He knew in his heart what could happen. The people of God are being stirred up, I believe, in our nation to be a people of vision and passion once again. Let's look very quickly at some of the signs of a church with vision and how it becomes intentional in its mission. Let me just check, though, with Nigel, what time do we finish? Tell me honestly, what time's the kettle boil? Yeah, fine. Give me a little wave if I'm going on too long, will you? Because, you know, we're friends. Yeah? Is that okay? Oh, already? Okay. So let me look first of all at, at the first sign that we see here in Acts 15. The church with vision sees conflict as an opportunity for growth. That's what a church with vision does. It doesn't let the tensions of church life destroy it or stop it in its tracks from doing what God calls it to do. Verse 2, a sharp dispute and debate arose amongst the people of God. They were people of vision. They were beginning to get to grips with the big call that God was placing on their lives, but there were some tensions. Now, what were the causes of those tensions? Very common causes that we often share today. First of all, there was a discrepancy between theology and practice. What is theology? It's very simply...
the art or the science of understanding God. Trying to bring some sort of system to the Word of God by way of understanding more of what God is like. But it's only a tool. It's not infallible. There is no perfect theology apart from Jesus Christ, who is the Word who became flesh. Whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or some shade of something in between, (laughs) it's not infallible. But in the early church here, some were digging their heels in and saying, well, we've got it right, and we know from a higher source, infallibly, that people have to be circumcised, otherwise they can't be Christians. But let me say this. When our theology, and it's good to have a theology, I've got several. I'm eclectic and flexible, you know. They're all Christian. (laughs) It's good to have a theology, but if whatever theology we have leads us into a cul-de-sac of inertia when it comes to mission, it needs to be jettisoned. Because anything that's remotely right and accurate in terms of theology points us towards a passionate engagement with the mission that God has given us as the church to bring people to come to know him. So there was a conflict, a discrepancy between theology and practice. But there was also entrenched practices, verse 5, insisting that old traditions must be upheld in order for people to be proper Christians. Now, I travel a lot in my ministry with the Alliance, and within our membership as the Alliance in Wales, we have all sorts of different denominations, new streams of church, independent churches. And one thing I observe is this, that in 12 years of engaging in this ministry, every single denomination, every single new stream of church develops helpful traditions. We like to think, some of us, that we don't have any traditions at all. We do. And they can be good. Let me illustrate this. I go to the gym on a regular basis. It's a tradition. But I think it's quite a good tradition. Looking at me, you may think, why does he bother? (laughs) But I do in order to stay fit. I eat sensibly and regularly because that's a good tradition. There are good traditions. But the moment that good tradition starts to hinder us in our understanding of and fulfillment of the vision that God has given to us, then it needs to be laid to one side and phased out. Trouble is, with the history of the church, you'll see this, established denominations are not terribly good at leaving aside the unhelpful traditions. But the church that's radical, that's visionary, is going to be able to reform and modify itself and genuinely before God hear what he wants us to do as a primary focus. I'm part of a Baptist church in Cardiff in the old uh, Docklands area of Grangetown. We're a multi-ethnic church. Our pastor is Fredia Dokobiji, who comes from Ghana, but calls himself a Welshman now because he's working in Wales. He says, hi, I'm Freddie, a Dokobiji, the Welshman. <laughs> he's a great guy. We have many different nationalities coming to our church, and we meet at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning, and the church has done so for the last 160 years since the church was started. Why? Because 160 years ago, that part of Cardiff 
was largely farmland. And so that people who milked cows could get to church and enjoy the service, they decided to start the service at 11 o'clock. But hey, nobody's milking cows in Grangetown now. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We can still meet at 11 and have a great time. But the thing is, there are some traditions that need to be jettisoned. Another cause of tension and conflict was the inability to see the big picture. See, God had always intended the ecclesia, that's the New Testament word for church, called out ones, the ecclesia, had always intended them to be a blessing to every ethnic group. Now, the ecclesia, the called out ones in the Old Testament, the congregation of Israel, were given a promise that all nations will be blessed through them. Genesis 12, 2. I will make you, Abraham and his descendants, into a great nation, and you will be a blessing. And the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's vision for his people, always from the very beginning, was that every single nation of the world will be blessed through them. That was the big picture. But in the New Testament church, they were beginning to get blinkered and narrow and couldn't understand that people who were going to be very different to them would still be allowed to be part of the church. A good friend of mine is the pastor of a Baptist church. And when he first went to his church, this small little church, He went along to his first members' meeting, which is very important if you're a Baptist. Members' meeting, very important. I'm a Baptist, very important, members' meeting. (laughs) You hear the word of God together, you hear the heart of God together. That's the plan, you know. And you you act upon it. And in his very first members' meeting, he, he stood there with enthusiasm. He'd really prayed through how the church could engage with community and do acts of kindness and do evangelism and run alpha courses. And he got it all prepared and then opened it up for discussion. The only thing the members of his church were interested in talking about was who could have their stall in the most important position in the field for the church fate. That's all that mattered. That was their world. Now, this good friend of mine saw that conflict as an opportunity for growth. He said, okay, we'll do it fairly and justly, but bit by bit he started to introduce to the church a glimpse at the big picture of what God might want them to do. They started to pray for churches in India, not just their own little locality in Bristol. They started to give gifts to other local churches so they could do their job even better, even though they didn't have much money themselves. Ten years later, the church has now given tens of thousands of pounds to projects in India, is sending its members on a regular basis to go out there, has seen conversion growth, and is now a church with a big vision of what God can do. The church with vision sees conflict as an opportunity for growth. Don't be crushed. Because believe you me, and Nigel would agree with me on this, I'm sure. There isn't a church on the planet of this earth, on the surface of this planet earth, that hasn't had some sort of conflict and tension. The real key is to engage with it positively for the sake of growth. Second sign 
Moving on quickly. The church with vision seeks wisdom from mature leadership. Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas were appointed to see the apostles and elders. Now, Paul was a converted Pharisee and gospel preacher. Barnabas was a man of deep spirituality, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and the Jerusalem apostles and elders were those with experience of living with and serving Jesus. The early church had as part of its DNA the understanding that really wise and godly leadership consults other mature leaders. In other words, not every single local church has every bit of wisdom it needs. It's a biblical thing to go out and about and to connect with others and to learn through other godly people. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, Wisdom is found in those who take advice. I can remember going into my first pastorate at 25, just straight from Bible college, and I had everything pretty well sorted out. I knew exactly what the church needed to do to triple in size in three years. I knew, except that I had it all wrong. And I needed to learn how to engage with those who are older and wiser and more gifted and more anointed than I was in order to see growth. The church with vision seeks wisdom from mature leadership. I'm excited about what God is doing in our nation at the moment. I've had the privilege of working with some of my friends who are from the very traditional reformed conservative part of the evangelical constituency in Wales who are actually putting their hands open and saying, we haven't got all the answers. We want to learn from those who are different to us. And they're engaging with our Pentecostal friends. Reformed conservative evangelical, Pentecostal. Never the twain shall meet, normally. But they are to learn from each other. Those that are very exuberant and expressive and interactive in their worship, like we are here, which is fantastic, are talking to those who are liturgical and very structured and learning from each other. Seeking wisdom from mature leadership. One of the stories that thrills me about the revival is this. One day, Evan Roberts, the young man who was used greatly by God to see many converted, Young Welsh-speaking, ex-coal miner, not very well educated, was anointed by God, only 26 years old as you know, to be an amazing catalyst of revival across the nation of Wales with far-reaching effects. One day he was preaching at a little chapel down in South Wales, packed, all the pews were filled, people standing round the edge. Partway through his address to this church, two old gentlemen came in the back door. And because they were old, some of the younger people got up from their pews and allowed them to sit down. Very nice. And they listened intently to what this young man was talking about. And they were making notes. And they were nodding. And they were smiling. And they were learning. Do you know who they were? F.B. Mayer and William Booth. William Booth the founder of the Salvation Army, F.B. Mayer, an outstanding Baptist missionary. Elderly gentleman who'd done it all, seen it all, been there, got the T-shirt, 
were coming and listening to a 26-year-old man sharing wisdom from God. Now, that's the attitude of a church with vision. Seeking wisdom from mature leadership. Thirdly, and I'll finish with this one. Third side, I would say, is the church with vision recognizes the call of God on individuals irrespective of their background. Verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, that's the non-Jews, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us, the Jews. In other words, these two factions are actually equal in God's sight. The church with vision recognizes the call of God on individuals irrespective of their background. This was pivotal in the development of the vision and mission of the New Testament church. Unless it understood that this gospel that God had entrusted to them was actually for every single stratum of society, rich, poor, and all those in between, every single class, every single caste, every single person, unless they understood that, the church could not have done the job that God had ordained it to do. Different ethnicity, different language, different mindset, different culture, different worldview. Everyone can be impacted with the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we are privileged to do as the Alliance in Wales is work with ethnic minority churches in Wales. Now, there may not be, I don't know if there are many ethnic minority churches around here, probably not. But in the South, we have a lot of ethnic minority churches. By that, I mean we have an Arabic church, a Filipino church, we have a Chinese church, we have uh, Korean churches, we have Arabic-speaking churches, uh, we have all sorts of different churches, all of which are passionate about gospel ministry and love to do mission. Well, the National Assembly informed us on one occasion they want to engage meaningfully with ethnic minority communities in Wales. So we thought, here's an idea. If they'd like to do that, we can form a council of ethnic minority churches, gather those leaders together, and then invite the assembly to come and meet them, and they'll realize that these ethnic communities, in many of them, are vibrant, evangelical, growing churches. That's a good idea, we thought. So we invited all the leaders together to our offices in High Street, and we had a meeting and shared with them this, this idea. They said, great idea, we'd love to meet with the politicians and the members of the assembly. And then after our meeting, we took them out for a Chinese meal in China, China, a nice little restaurant in the High Street in Cardiff. Went into the Chinese restaurant, we sat around the table. The Scandinavian re- uh, uh, waiter in the Chinese restaurant came along to take our order, And this young man looked at us, and he saw a man from Jamaica. He saw a man leading the Korean church, Chinese church, Arabic church, Welsh people. And he said, who are you? (laughs) And we said, we're ministers of the gospel. God is no respecter of persons. He will use everybody and anybody.
One of the biggest lessons we have to learn as a visionary church is that those people often despised by many with a poor track record of reliability, who haven't done very well, when God comes upon them and they meet with him, they can be transformed and be as effective as anybody else in the kingdom of God. Our God is a redeeming God. And as we understand that as the people of God, we can rise to the challenge that God has given us. When I was pastoring Carrig Lewis in Oswestry, I went out to uh, Ghana to visit some missionaries we had from the church who were serving out there with Wycliffe Bible translators. And when I went out to visit Tony and Mary, we were there for a week with my older son, Neil. And after a bit of time, we started to observe some of the interesting cultural traits that you see in Ghana. And I asked Tony and Mary about them. I said to them, why is nobody in the office today? And Tony and Mary said, well, look out the window. Out the window, it was raining. And they said, in Ghana, if it is raining, you don't go to work. Now, hey, what about that in Wales? Would any work ever be done? <laughs> then I said, what's that person doing lying on the floor over there in the corner of the office? And they said, well, in Ghanaian culture, if you are working and you get tired, you simply walk away from what you're doing and go lie on the floor and have a sleep. <laughs> now, we would look at that and say, that's daft. Who are we to say that? They come to us and they see us chasing around like crazy people. They say, that's daft. <laughs> what I'm pointing out is this, that we live in a multi-ethnic, multi-layered cultural society in Wales today. And we need to learn how to understand that God will use anybody who opens their heart and their mind to him. God is calling his people to be a visionary people. We need to be innovative. We need to be creative. We need to rise to the challenges in our nation. Let me finish with this. In a conversation with assembly members, and not all of them or even many of them would call themselves Christians, but nearly all of them would say that if the church could really achieve what the Bible would indicate it has the potential of achieving, then that would be welcomed by everybody in Wales. A bit like Matthew Paris, atheist. The church is doing something amazing in Africa. The church, even in our generation, can do something amazing in Wales. If we only live as the people of vision and mission that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is indeed sharper than a double-edged sword and is able to pierce us deep within our heart and mind and being and challenge and renew and strengthen. And Father, we pray that your word that we have read together today will indeed lead us to greater effectiveness in our mission. 
Pray, Lord, for Nigel and the leaders here in Gateway Church. Thank you, Lord, for this vibrant fellowship, for this fellowship with passion, with energy, with vision. May they be anointed for even greater success in their kingdom work in the future. May you add to their number those who are being saved. May you grant them wisdom, winsomeness, discernment, respect of local businesses and local authority. Grant them favor. Grant them many, many open doors where they can unashamedly and uncompromisingly make Jesus known. We ask in his name and for his glory. Amen.